Well, it's really good to be with you. I know Bryant and Ann love being here. They've really enjoyed their time with you. Um, and so I worked with Bryant for about 13 years at Johnson Ferry Baptist. And, uh, and, you know, in that time, your affections for one another ebb and flow. And so when Andrew, who's my good buddy, Andrew, or Bryant's middle son, when he and I were on that climbing trip, things were a little low between Bryant and I. So I just, and then I saved him. And so we were best buddies after that. Worked great. No, Andrew, uh, Andrew is a great guy. It's another story for another day. And uh, really the, the Lord protected us in, uh, in, uh, in a really bad situation. But that was, that was in August of this past year. And then, and then after that, I left Johnson Ferry after being there 13 years and went to um, a new church plant. And, uh, and I'm, I'm working there. And so that was kind of traumatic. And then not long after I got there, the church gave me the gift of COVID. And, uh, and so I received that. And, uh, and then not long after that, after Christmas, I was working. My dad and I had been rebuilding this barn. And uh, I was using a, a finished nail gun to put up uh, a small piece of wood. And the nail ricocheted off the wood and came 180 degrees backwards and went into my left eye. And so, so here we go. I don't need anything else. I don't know about you, but like, I'm good. I'm done. Insurance, like we've met the deductibles. We're ready to go. Uh, and so I will wear glasses. I don't normally wear glasses, but I'll wear glasses the whole service. And I'll use an iPad. Um, the eye is still kind of healing. So if I occasionally like pause or, or am looking for something, we'll blame it on my eye. It's been very convenient. Uh, and so excited to be with you though. I, I've been working with this group of young adults at the new church that I'm working at. And, the, and uh, Johnson Ferry is a suburb of Atlanta. The church that I'm working at now is in the city of Atlanta. And my wife and I live pretty close to, uh, to get down to the city. So we, we, uh, I drive down and, and hang out with, um, on Tuesday nights, the young adults, among other things that I do at the church. But the, the young adults and I have been going through an attributes of God study, and it's been, it's been wonderful. I would encourage you to get a book or two for your own personal library on the attributes of God if you don't have one. There's a bunch of really good ones. There's J.I. Packer's Knowing God. It's kind of a Christian classic, great book. A.W. Tozer has a two-volume book. Um, it's, uh, it's really cleverly named The Attributes of God, Volume 1 and 2. And so it's, you can get it at any Christian bookstore or that little company, Amazon, can have it to your house really quick. And so I would encourage you to grab one of those. And he does, the, all these guys that write about the attributes of God, um, I've looked at lots of different resources, they all have similar ideas all the way back to, to some of the Puritan pastors, all the way back to some of the reformers, they all have these pretty similar ideas on these attributes of God. So any one of those good, solid books that you get, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get you started down the road. And what I have loved about looking at the attributes of God is that it's recentered me on who God is, not who I want him to be. Not even who I have at times, unfortunately, mispreached him to be. Not even who I've heard really good preachers say that he is, but who the Bible really says that God is. And today I want us to look at the idea of the justice and the mercy of God. 
If you would, take a look at Psalm 89, 14. I learned from the 8 a.m. crowd, one, that you can go to church at 8 a.m. That's super early. Um, and, uh, and two, I learned that Bryant has maybe been having you stand. So let's stand as we read Psalm 89, 14. And maybe it wasn't Bryant that's had you stand, but at Johnson Ferry, Bryant had everyone stand every week. He would say, let's stand. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, and so <clears throat> does he say mother and father? Yeah, he does. It's awesome. Okay. It's very hard to understand. Um, Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. I'm going to read it one more time. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, of God's throne. And steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Lord, would you speak to us about who you are? We ask that humbly, and we ask that earnestly, that you would speak to us, Father. Just reveal you to us, and may we respond rightly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In that book, The Attributes of God, A.W. Tozer says, uh, he says, no society has ever risen above its concept of God. And so I took that to the test to see if it was true. Again, Tuesday nights, it's a couple of hundred folks in their um, mid to late 20s, early 30s, all like, a lot of them are small town folks that graduated college, moved to Atlanta to work for one of the big three, Delta, Coke, or Home Depot. And so they go to work for one of the big three, or they work at an accounting firm or whatever else. And a lot of them have you know, they're, they're small town kids that are making more money than they ever thought. They have got the world by the tail and they're just, they're just living the dream until their company says, hey, now we're going to have inclusion training. Now we're going to have diversity training. Now we're going to have sensitivity training. And all of a sudden, their worldview of, of Christianity becomes unglued a little bit. It becomes unsettling. It becomes a little rattled when they think, how am I supposed to respond to my company's, uh, my company's new wishes on how I need to relate to all these other people? And we have a, a fairly diverse group of ethnicities on Tuesday nights, and so it's really good to, to get different perspectives from different Christians of different ethnicities. And so we have a, a real good sampling, but I just asked them, I said, is it, do you think it's true that no society has ever risen beyond its concept of God? And if that's true, then your company can never rise beyond its concept of God. So let's just ask, what is the concept of God in your company? And so I had them chat for a few minutes, and then I had them stand up here and there throughout the room, and we passed a microphone around, and they started to kind of share what they thought their company's view of God. Now, we had a few Georgia Tech students in the room and, uh, and so it was a good sampling. I asked them to not tell what company they worked for so that they could kind of keep that on the down low and also so they wouldn't get ratted out and fired. Uh, and so it was very interesting, though. The, the responses varied greatly. Some said, we think, based on the policies that are coming down the pipe, our company views God as bigoted, and we're fighting against his bigotry. 
apparently from our company's view, God is probably uh, this benevolent grandfather sitting in heaven going, come on in kids, I can't hear you that well anyway. Um, I love everybody, everybody gets in. And so some of them had this benevolent old grandfather view of God that everybody gets in, everybody's accepted, everybody's just fine. Uh, some of them had the view that God and faith are unintelligent and real intelligence lies in science. And so you start to see all these folks have their concepts of God and the concept of God is really how they define company culture. What the scripture says is that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God and steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. What all these companies are trying to do is create their own thrones with their own version of righteousness and justice as the foundation and their own version of steadfast love and faithfulness coming out. And what you get is an implosion because no company that, no, nobody who spoke had the same view, their company did not have the same view of God as the next company. And so all these different young adults are experiencing a culture where everybody, you go to work at this company, here's what the foundation of justice looks like in that company, and here's how mercy looks like in that company. You go to this one, here's what uh, justice looks like at this company, and here's what mercy looks like at this one, and so on and so on and so on down the line. And so what we have is a really confused system. And I promise you, it is as confused here as it is an hour plane flight away in Atlanta. The world is very confused. Western culture is incredibly confused on how we ought to live. And that's why I think we continually need, especially in today's world, to go back to the scriptures and say, God, who do you say that you are? And then how do I rightly adjust my life in response to you? And so Psalm 89, 14 is a great passage to start us off because it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Some of you have watched like uh, Masterpiece Theater and some of the shows and, uh, that have like the kings and the queens and the royalty. They, it's, made, it's made quite a resurgence um, in our house, at least. And so, you know, you got all these, you got all these shows going back uh, to, to seeing like the pomp and splendor of, of especially the English royalty. And, uh, and you picture the, the, throne, the throne room where someone would walk down the hallway and have to go approach the king. And as they approach the king, the king is on the throne and there's some sort of platform that the throne is sitting on. And you just hope that you find favor with the king and the king, as you approach, is going to give some sort of edict about how you're supposed to respond or live. Well, it says that the, the throne that God sits on is seated on a bedrock foundation of righteousness and justice. We ought to have great hope even as we come through the end of this pandemic, even as we come through the end of a really hard year, that God's foundation of justice and righteousness has not cracked. 
He is seated on a secure and firm foundation. And I love that, that if you look at Hebrew and you look at the Greek, justice and righteousness are inseparable from one another. We often think of them as two different things, but justice and righteousness in Hebrew and Greek is one of the very few words that has, that has this in common. They have the same root word. And so when we think about the justice of God, usually we think about God getting the bad guys. And when we think about the righteousness of God, usually we think about uh, God always does the right thing and I need to try to do the right thing and that is righteousness. But in the scriptures, justice and righteousness are inseparable. And so if you go and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter five? In Matthew five, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. You could put in there, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. You go to Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his justice, and all these things will be added unto you. Here's the deal. The justice and the righteousness of God is not God just smiting the bad people. It's God bringing things to order. You see, we all want justice for the other people. We just don't want God to put his justice on us if we act it up. We love when they get theirs. We just don't want to get ours. But the foundation of God's throne is not biased. Justice is for all, and his righteousness is for all. Amen. You know, I, uh, I, I think one easy way for me to think about the justice and the righteousness, the foundation of God's throne, is that it's like, it's, it's kind of a, a gravitational picture is what I get. The world has gone crazy, and it's gone crazy since Genesis chapter 3. And, it, and that's pretty early in the Bible. And it has continued to spiral seemingly out of control. And so it's easy for us to say, God, are you really there? Are you really going to right all the wrongs and bring all the things to justice? Are you really going to have your righteousness reign and rule? Is it, are we, can we really trust that? And God's justice it's not him going and just smiting all the bad people, because that would be us too. His justice is basically God pulling all things back to the way they should be in Genesis chapter 2, to the way they will be, looking forward to Revelation at the end of the book, when there's a new heaven and a new earth. God will bring it all back. And he is working to bring it all back. And sometimes he enacts justice on us quickly. And sometimes it seems like he's forgotten to pull the justice switch. But he's always up to justice. Uh, it's, since justice and righteousness 
can't be separated. They're married together. It helps us understand, okay, God is always, all the time about the right thing, and he is always, all the time about bringing the right thing back in. It's also important for us to understand that God is not part justice. God is just. I don't know about you, but I am sometimes nice. And I'm sure you're sometimes nice. I am sometimes prompt. This morning I was going to get up at 6 and I was going to look over all my notes. And then when I looked and the clock said 6.55, I thought this will be a short looking at all my notes. Um, And so, like, because I was not very prompt. I never even heard the alarm go off. Uh, and sometimes I'm, uh, sometimes I'm type A, sometimes I'm real go with the flow. Andy and I have been talking back and forth, and I think some, some parts of our personalities mesh, and some parts are opposites, and, and, uh, and so that's, that's a good thing. Sometimes we would, we would agree, sometimes we would disagree, and, and it's just the way God wired our personalities on, on type A and go with the flow. And yet, I'm super inconsistent. There are some people that would say, man, you, you sir, are, are, are always on time. And other people would be like, him on time? He's never on time. We are one part nice, one part grumpy, one part like kind, one part uh, stingy, one part generous. You mix this all up, you pour it out, and you're like, there's Susan. Right? Like, I mean, like, that's like, we're just like parts of stuff. And so it's easy to think, okay, well, God must just be part justice because I don't see it. No, Deuteronomy 6.4, it's the famous Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord is God. The Lord alone is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Moses was instructed by God to write this down very clearly for us to understand. God is not part justice, part righteousness. God is just. He is one. He's not sometimes acting out justice. He's always, all the time, acting out justice. In, in Psalm uh, 50, 21, it's a great little, it's a great little verse Psalm 50, 21, it says, these things you have done, and I have been silent. God, that's God speaking. God saying, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but I now rebuke you and lay the charge before you. I am not like you. The Lord is not like us. He's not one part this and one part that and one part that, and you mix it all up and pour it out, and there's God. God is all justice. And simultaneously, he is all mercy. Here's the, here's the problem before we move into mercy, because we need to see not the other part, but we need to see this other attribute of God in conjunction, because he's all justice and he's all mercy. But here's what happens when we create our own system of justice and we don't rely on God's system of justice. When we create our own system of justice, a couple of quick examples would be, we decide that you can't assign gender at birth. Because, well, that's not, that's not just to that child. 
So when we start coming up with our own system of justice, what we really create is our own system of confusion. And in the secular world, when, uh, when, uh, when the transgender movement says, hey, we should be able to play sports for this other gender, well, then all of a sudden the feminist movement steps up and says that's not fair to women. Why? Because they all have their own system of justice and righteousness. And so even in the secular world, especially in the secular world, when we create our own systems and pervert the attributes of God and make them our own little thing, what happens? We have incredible confusion and chaos. And that is why in today's world, it's super, super critical that we who profess to be Christians go back and say, God, who are you? Because then we can start to live out our faith in a meaningful, practical way. And we can start to do things like Micah 6.8. And Micah 6.8 says, I have shown you, O man, what is good and what is good, but to act justly, not by our standards of justice, but by his standards of justice, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. If you want to see more on the justice of God, I don't know if you ever watched The Bible Project. Um, the Bible Project is a great little series of animated videos on the books of the Bible and attributes of God and word studies. But they have one. You can type in uh, the Bible Project Justice, and it's a great little video on the justice of God. I would encourage you to take a look at that. It's great for grown-ups. It's also great for grown-ups with kids. It's, a, it's just a, a neat little six-minute video. But it says, fortunately for us, that the throne of God is seated on justice and righteousness, but what comes out of the throne is steadfast love. Now, some of you may have a different translation, but steadfast love, if you go back to the Hebrew, is the word mercy. I think in the King James, it says the word mercy. It may say it in the New American Standard, but anytime you see, pretty much anytime you see steadfast love, I'm using the ESV, if anytime you see steadfast love in the Old Testament, the word is mercy. So the foundation of God's throne is justice. He is, I promise you, bringing all things back to the way it should be. And at the same time, what is coming out of his throne is mercy. People say that God changed when we, get to the, when we got to the New Testament. God got nice. He was kind of grumpy in the Old Testament. He killed a lot of people. And we get to the New Testament and he got nice. Did you know mercy is mentioned four times more in the Old Testament than in the New Testament? Four times more in the Old Testament, God reminds us, I am merciful. I am slow to anger. I am merciful. I am slow to anger. I am having mercy on you. I'm extending mercy to you. Do you know some of the harshest words in the Bible came from Jesus himself? Mercy is all over the scriptures. God didn't change. He's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mercy, that's God's goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness. He shows kindness when it is both deserved and undeserved, and, he's, and his faithfulness because he is faithful. Do you know what mercy really is? Mercy is when you know you blew it and God says, I'm not going to hold you to it. 
I know you, you blew that, and I'm not going to hold it against you. Just a little caveat, grace is actually different. Mercy would be I backed into a car in the parking lot, and the person says you don't have to pay for it. Grace is the officer walking up to us and saying, did you know you backed into 10 cars in that parking lot? And you're like, I had no idea. And the officer saying, I'm not going to hold it against you. Grace, a lot of times, is when we had no idea we even blew it. And God forgives us anyway. Mercy is when we know we blew it. And God says, I'm not going to hold it against you. You know, everyone wants mercy for themselves and for those they care about. But not everyone wants mercy for those who have offended them. Isn't it good that we don't have to be the ones who make the decisions on who gets the mercy and who gets the justice? Because we'd pick wrong. No one from my middle school would be around anymore. They would all be locked up. Middle school was a hard time for me. I had a friend named Jed, and Jed said, Thomas, I'm going to be popular, so I can't be friends with you anymore. True story. That was not a nice day. Anyway, uh, so like I would definitely want like some justice and not mercy for him. Uh, but he might think the same thing about me. And you know what? It's really good that God is the ultimate one who decides who gets justice and who gets mercy. One of the best stories that I know in the Bible that brings all of this together is in Luke chapter 18. If you've got a Bible with you and if you've just used it a minute ago, go to, go to Luke chapter 18. In Luke 18, Jesus is going to tell a parable. And in that parable, you're going to see the justice and the righteousness of God. You're going to see the mercy of God. And you're going to see what happens when those two marry together. So Luke 18, starting in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Let's pause. It's very, very important for us to realize that there is no one righteous, no, not one. Only the one seated on the throne with the foundation of righteousness is truly right. They're the, he's the only one who's got it all together, who never departed once sin entered the garden, never partook of it. He's the one bringing us back to that perfect state and being in harmony with him. He is the righteous one, but it's, it's easy for us every once in a while for us to have this pseudo-righteousness where we think, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. So he told this story for those of us who have thought, and I have thought, at least I'm not as bad as them. Therefore, God must like me better. And he tells the story. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Can you imagine somebody praying that in this church? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Remember, the foundation is justice and righteousness. What comes out of the throne is the mercy of God. And what happens when those two, because God is both simultaneously all justice, all mercy, he is one. Tozer says God has as many parts as a diamond, which is no parts. It's just a diamond. God is justice and mercy simultaneously. And what happens when we encounter the justice and the mercy of God? It's an amazing interaction because both of these men encountered the justice and the mercy of God, and only one of them walked away right with God. The one guy says, I've already got righteousness figured out. And, uh, and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this person over here. And can you imagine praying that? Lord, thank you this morning that I'm not like so-and-so. They're really bad. I do a lot. I went to 8 and 9.30. I even parked far back. I am awesome. Amen. Like, that's like, I mean, that's like writing a little encouragement note to yourself. Uh, and, it, you know, just like then mailing it to yourself and opening it up and being like surprised. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it's, just, it's incredible. By the way, if you read the story and you think, what a jerk, then you're actually that person. That's the brilliance in Jesus telling this parable. If I read the story and that's the first thing I think of is, man, I'm glad I'm not that guy. You're that guy. The other one, though, wasn't worried about what that other guy was saying because he was focused on the God seated on the throne whose foundation is completely unshakable of justice and righteousness, and at the same time knew there was this compelling mercy flowing out of the throne, which is the only way he could approach that throne. And in that moment when the justice is coming out and the mercy is going forward and that person is hit by it, he bows his head, can't even look up to heaven, beats his chest and says, God have mercy on me. Because he knew when he was near that righteousness and justice of God that he was not righteous or just. And the only hopeful moment he had was that the mercy of God would receive him in. And he beats his chest and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, that man went home justified. When a sinner encounters the, the righteousness and justice of God, that foundation, and they rightly respond by calling out for mercy because in light of the justice and righteousness of God, they're aware of their sin. And when they're aware of their sin, they know they need pardon. And when they call out for the mercy of God and they receive the pardon that only Jesus Christ can bring us, what happens is justification. We become justified before the Lord. We become received by him. We become his child. And it is a great mystery. When we look to the man himself, Jesus Christ, what we see is the embodiment of the unbending justice of God and the unwavering mercy. I don't know if you're aware, but God's justice is happening all the time, whether we know it or not. 
And God's mercy is simultaneously happening all the time, whether we know it or not. Lamentations chapter 3, a famous passage where it says, His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Whether we know it or not, his mercies were new this morning. May the Lord open our eyes to be aware of his mercies. And simultaneously, his justice is going out. Whether we see it or believe it or not, it's happening. Tozer, in commenting on these two attributes, says, when God looks at an, at an atoned-for sinner, he doesn't see the same moral situation he sees when he looks at a sinner who still loves his sin. When God looks at a sinner who loves his sin and rejects the mystery of the atonement, justice condemns him to die. When God looks at a sinner who has accepted the blood of the everlasting covenant, Justice sentences him to live, and God is just and merciful in doing both things. It isn't that mercy is pleading for the sinner and justice is trying to beat him to death as we preachers sometimes make it out to sound. All God does all that God does. When God looks at a sinner and sees him there unatoned for, the moral situation is such that justice says he must die. And when God looks at the atoned for sinner who in faith knows he's atoned for and has accepted it, justice says he must live. The unjust sinner can no more go to heaven than the justified sinner can go to hell. And what I have just told you is something the angels long to look into. That's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. He says, of these things. These are the mysteries of God, and they are deep. And even the angels long to look into the way that God has poured out his justice and his mercy simultaneously on his people through the offering of his son, Jesus Christ, to sustain the wrath of God that we might have life. Now that, my friends, is mercy and grace upon grace. My question this morning is, do you need a refresher to trust that God is working out his plan and justice will be served? Do you need a moment to remember that while justice is being served, he is also much more merciful than you and I can ever comprehend. And I need to appreciate his mercy even when it's poured out, especially when it's poured out on people I don't think deserve it. God is large and in charge. And we best respond by saying, Lord, just show me your glory and may I say I trust your justice and righteousness and may I plead for your mercy. And as a result, may I act justly, may I love mercy and may I walk humbly with you, God. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are completely just and completely trustworthy. I thank you that you are more merciful than I can ever understand. Lord, we plead your mercy that we might go home justified before you today. Lord, would you have mercy on us? Would you act justice out? And may we trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, that you will enact justice and you will pour out mercy. And Lord, may we marvel at you being one in doing these things. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.